This is Movies, a podcast about the act of cinema. I'm your host, Lorez, and today we're going to be discussing The Hateful Eight. But before we even get into that and play the clip, I am announcing here and now that we are bringing in a a new co-host. We have a full-time co-host here on Movies now. I'm paying him each episode with four plastic rubies. Like a children's toy? We have Hans on the line. Hans, how are you doing today? Good. Um, you know I like toys, though. So you can't promise something that you can't deliver. No, it's going to go out on the 10th of every month in an envelope, in a white nice. envelope. So we're, we're talking about Quentin Tarantino. You had mentioned before this show that Once Upon a Time in Hollywood is not coming out there for, what, like another month? Yeah, it comes out on the 22nd, officially. I, I watched this movie, and you can watch this movie, too, if you don't mind cam copies. There's a cam copy on some really despicable website that I use. I think it's like www.camstreams.eu or, or something along those lines. Mm-hmm. Now, every single time you try to watch a movie, you will get a pop-up that leads you to some weird vague downloading website it always tells you you have to download things isn't it that um which uh a pop-up that happens um sometimes when you're watching uh, adult programming on the internet and uh it just says something about your computer that needs like it's an emergency like you need to fix it or whatever it makes a very loud noise and then it's got like a a high pitch sound Yes, that's the worst. And it won't let you close out. It just keeps coming right back up until you close out of the other page. But you can't reach the page in time because the new pop-up keeps perpetuating over and over again. It's really startling when you're trying to masturbate. And it's just like, I'm I'm trying <laughs> I'm trying to close this shit. And it won't close because you have to accept the fucking prompt message. that is. Anyway, yeah, um, I don't like cams. So I guess I'll just have to wait until an HD or a 720p. Uh, file is up, uploaded, I guess. Do you think that Quentin Tarantino is overrated? What um, part of his filmmaking? The whole, the whole thing. His reputation. Do you think he's an overrated filmmaker? I, I don't think I would put him in my top ten of filmmakers of all time. But I think it's, it's kind of like um, Spielberg or, or someone like. Um, uh, Fuck, how, how did I forget Avatar? James Cameron, mm-hmm. uh, where uh, it's more about their body of work and the fact that they've been able to just stay at that level for so many years that people respect. And also the fact that, you know, he was able to introduce adult uh, themes and adult dialogue into movies when that wasn't really uh, something that was uh, accepted main, in, in a mainstream way, I guess. But how so? I, I, I don't think I don't think he's that. Great, to be honest. I'm not, I'm not a huge fan of Tarantino. What do you mean by adult themes or adult language in mainstream cinema? The way that he, he uses dialogue, the, the free, very free way that he uses the N-word. I don't think there's uh, many so other... So racial slurs, that's what you really mean. Pretty much, yeah. <laughs> yeah, I don't think that many other um, white filmmakers are as free with the N-word and that are also as accepted as he is. Like, uh, I believe that he had some issues when he started. Uh, and there's a very famous interview of him with this. Uh, um, I don't remember her name, but it was this fat lady who was a critic. And uh, and he just pretty much say, it's a fun movie and it's fun. And that's the only thing you should care about. The fun. woman who is wearing a floral muumuu and looks like Homer in that episode of The Simpsons. I think she's wearing like a hat or something. Or... Yeah, she looks like downtown Julie Brown from MTV. But but yeah, <laughs> That was more about violence, though, than him perpetually yeah. using the N-word in his film. No. Which, I'll tell you what, by the way, Once <laughs> Upon a Time in Hollywood, I don't think has a single N-word in it. What? Is there any blacks? I mean, it's 1960s Hollywood, so I guess it doesn't really fit. That wouldn't, uh, you know, unless you had Sammy Davis Jr. in there. Wasn't Sidney Poitier out there? He was the one guy, him and Bill Cosby. <laughs> yeah. And you well, already Bill have Roman. You have Roman Polanski in the film already. You can't really double down. And also, I, you know, we should save that for when you eventually do see the movie. But there's... Uh, there's a lot of jabs at like the current culture and some things I don't necessarily agree with uh, that are in that film. Uh, but it's a very daring movie 
uh, for right now. And I think, I think Tarantino knew exactly what he was doing. But we are talking about the Hateful Eight, and there are quite a few racial slurs in this film. Yeah, um, that's. I think that's the the first thing that I enjoyed. Just how free they were with uh, with the dialogue. Uh, even though I, I do feel like every scene runs like 20 minutes too long, but the, just the first chapter when, uh, Samuel Jackson is meeting them at first or meeting, um, uh, the, you know, the, the bitch woman and the, the mustache guy, I am bad with character names. Uh, but, uh, I like that interaction and I kind of wish that the interaction between characters stayed as fresh and as new as that, but. I, I guess that was my biggest issue with the movie where I just couldn't get into the story. I just, I just didn't care. You know, like I, I understand that uh, he was um, revealing characters little by little and revealing their backstories and whatnot, but I just, uh, an hour and a half in, I just, I couldn't care anymore. Did you make the comparison that this movie was kind of like a stage play when we were talking about it? Yeah. It, it, it felt to me like an origin uh, orange. Wow. How did they fuck that up? We practice this. <laughs> um, Horace and Pete. I thought it was like Horace and Pete, but with costumes. So it, it just felt like a play that went on for way too long. Uh, and uh, to the point where the dialogue like would just die off. And then the maybe uh, small interesting thing they could have said died down. And then they end up talking about shit that you just don't care about anymore. Uh, that's That's the main thing that took me out of the movie, I guess. And this movie was controversial upon its uh, release for for a number of different reasons. But the first real controversy that I can recall surrounding it was that the script had leaked maybe about a year to three years before the film actually came out. Do you remember this happening where Tarantino had it? Somebody, I think it was Christoph Waltz's agent, so he won't be working with Tarantino for some time had put the script out there. I don't know who he was going to play, but he had put the script out there and everybody got their hands on it. And Tarantino said, I'm not making this movie now. I'm not interested in doing this movie now that everybody knows the plot. And he had done the Kevin Smith thing where it's like, oh, we're going to read this script in front of a live studio audience. We're going to have a full cast. And I think some members of the the actual final roster were in that reading, uh, but it did have some other tarantino regulars in different roles and what have you and then eventually he just came around to it and was like you know what i'm actually going to change part of the ending and we're going to put the movie out which i think i i, I think that's interesting I, I i had the copy of the hateful eight script when it did come out but i didn't read it no yeah i, I remember downloading it and uh it's another of those scripts that i downloaded and never even looked at it have you ever done that before where you've like known of a script that leaked before the movie came out and then you decided to read it? Honestly, I don't think I care about any movie enough for that, for that, you know, where I would read the script before watching the movie. I think I've done it after uh, because, uh, you know, when you're watching the movie, you try to figure out ways in which you could do it differently or or think of ways in which you could have done it. So it interests me more to read the script after watching the movie uh, just so that I can see, you know, the the decisions that they took and how I would try to make it different, like, different, I guess, but not before watching it. It's like it's like people that will read the books before watching the movie like that's going to you know, enhance it, even though they're two completely different mediums that don't really work no, it, together. It, that it takes away from it more often than not. If yeah. you know nothing about it. Uh, I, I, I mean, I had if I had went and watched Gone Girl, for example, just straight away without having read the book beforehand, I probably would have had a greater appreciation for that movie, which everybody has forgotten about. It exploded the year it came out, and now nobody watches that. Nobody gives a shit about it. Uh, but it was hailed as a great film, and it was a pretty good movie, but it, it paled in comparison to the book. And because I was familiar with the book and those characters, it highlighted the flaws in performances from the likes of Neil Patrick Harris, for example. Such an odd casting choice for that movie. Yeah, for that for a rapist. Yeah, him and Tyler Perry being in that film. David David Fincher decided to get a little uh, creative, I guess, with the casting. Let's get my friends. 
the only movie that I had why, uh, that I had read the script to before the movie came out was Batman Begins back in 2005 because I was so obsessed with that movie because I had waited what seemed like forever for a sequel to Batman and Robin. Finally, that came out. So aside from that, no, I, I, I didn't know anything about The Hateful Eight uh, leading up to the movie's eventual release. And it came out in 70 millimeter. There were a lot of uh, showings of that. They did like a road show and there was a whole, you know, vent surrounding it. Did you wind up seeing it in theaters? And you probably didn't see it in that manner, did you? Were you still in the UK at that time? I think so, yeah, but I, I didn't. Like, I, yesterday was the first time I ever saw it. Did yeah. you watch the movie or did you watch the Netflix extended edition? I watched the Netflix extended edition, which oh, is why I don't oh. think I enjoyed it as much as I should have because it just felt overly long. Uh, but I didn't even know that there was a Netflix extended edition. That's the thing. I just saw that it was two, almost three hours. And uh, I was like, okay, so this has to be interesting or, you know, grab me in, in a way for me to sit and watch this because my attention span is shit. And then, you know, before the two hour mark, I was just completely lost of what was happening because I had lost interest completely. Uh, I'm, is the original or the theatrical cut, is that shorter? It's literally about half the the runtime. Well, <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> that, you didn't do yourself any favors by diving right into the the Netflix miniseries, the new TV show of the Hateful Eight. Did, and you posted an article today in our group chat about how he is planning to do this with Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. Which, in my opinion, it I would I won't say that it felt too long because I appreciate a movie that does take its time and marinates in the setting and in the dialogue, the characters. But I can't imagine how a four-hour cut of that film would play. And you can see with The Hateful Eight that it doesn't necessarily help the finished product. I just don't think you need a four-hour cut for anything unless it's like a miniseries or you're doing like a um, what Von Trier did with, um, what was that movie called? Nymphomaniac. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Something like that, okay, fine. But just one singular movie, four hours? No what about the that. Snyder Cut? What about Justice Is, League? Was that supposed to be, what, over three hours? That, that was, I think that was supposed to be four hours on the dot. Yeah. Nobody needs that, though. That's the thing. Like, four hours of a... Uh, un, unless you're telling the Bible or you're telling a book that's, like, Well, big that's like what he that. was doing, you know. Uh, uh, Superman's a, an analogy for Ugh. Jesus Christ and yeah. the lens flare. No, uh, but a lot of people do want that Justice League Snyder cut, and it is four hours, and apparently it's very, very, very different from what Joss Whedon cooked up over 30 days with a half-drunk Ben Affleck. I just, I can't imagine watching four hours of that sober, you know? <laughs> well, like you know, waking, up, waking up on a Sunday morning and being like, you know what, today's the day when I'm going to make some coffee and watch four hours of that shit. When an hour and a half was more than enough. I Wait, was read, it even an hour and a half? It was like two hours, right? No, I, I think I think they cut Justice League down to like seventy minutes or something like that. Mm. I just I just remember being not impressed by anything in that movie where we want to watch more, especially if it's two times or three times the length of what I've already watched. Now, this is a spoiler for anybody who intends on watching that Snyder Cut, but apparently Zack Snyder was trying to do a trilogy of films with those Batman v Superman Justice League movies, and it was going to end with Batman dying, and I think Wonder Woman dying, and then Superman becoming that little baby that floats around space at the end of 2001. I don't know. It was something along those lines. But it was a big, uh, you know... A, Christ analogy was going to be like the Bible and Doomsday was going, not Doomsday, excuse me, Apocalypse was supposed to be like the big bad of the movie. Sorry, oh, Dark Side. What? Dark, dark Side. <laughs> it's like, wait, the fucking weird crossover. The villain that was in Justice League in the final cut, and you know, this is pivotal to the Hateful Eight, but the villain that was in Justice League, which what was his name? Steppenwolf? Steppenwolf, yeah. The CGI bad guy that looks nothing like the character that's introduced in Batman v Superman. He was not supposed to be the bad guy. He was supposed to die like midway through the movie. They were going to replace him with Darkseid and he was going to face off against everybody. It was a completely different movie. I'm very curious to see what that would look like. Apparently it's done. It's in Zack Snyder's studio somewhere in uh, Burbank and it just 
it's going to sit there until Warner Brothers executives decide, oh, we can make money off this. Well, they did a screening, right? Or did they not end up doing that? Mm. Well, what happened was there were test screenings for that movie. It was finished. It was done. Everything but the CG. There was a scene with Iris West and that girl who looks like Tessa Thompson, who's been fired. I don't think she's a part of that Flash movie anymore. They did a screening and some of the footage from that leaked. And some of the footage uh, that involved Victor Stone, Cyborg, had also leaked. I had a Google Drive of these unfinished clips. And and uh, apparently people said that this this cut of the movie was much better than what came out in theaters. Yeah, I've heard that. <laughs> it doesn't sound like you believe it, though. No, I just I can't imagine anyone getting anything good out of that. You know, there was like there, I, I just didn't like anything about even the costumes I was annoyed by. Uh, so I can't I can't imagine. Well, they willingly the whole look of the film was altered where it became it looks like and, and you know, I think the cinematographer or somebody who was involved with visual effects had released the original Zack Snyder stills of Justice League and then did a side-by-side with what was in the movie. Mm -hmm. And it looks like in the original Zack Snyder cut, all of the shots look like, almost like Danny Elfman's, uh, not Danny Elfman, uh, uh, Tim Burton's Gotham City. It's all moody, it's dark, it's very comic booky. And then you look at Joss Whedon and it's like bright red and there's fire everywhere. And it does, I don't know, it's very unappealing. Disgusting film. Has Joss Whedon done anything after that? He's doing a movie right now, I believe. But he's a rape. But wasn't he a rapist or something? There's a lot of. <laughs> I mean, look, <laughs> he's not let's a rapist. Not, let's not get <laughs> let's not get into this poll uh, because we're going to end up with Kevin Spacey or something. Kevin, um, you know, Kevin Spacey. He he performed a poem on the steps of Rome just recently oh, wow. after being cleared of all charges in that case against him in Massachusetts. So. Kevin Spacey, innocent man, it's coming back. Um, did that show ended? That uh, House, House of, of Cards. Well, they did the season without him, and nobody cared, right? And nobody has talked about House of Cards since. I wonder if they're. Do you think they'll have enough balls to bring him back? No, they won't. Not to House of Cards. I would not be surprised if he wound up getting a show on Netflix, or if he popped up in a movie. But I mean, on a, let's just look at surface charges here, right? Okay. Kevin Spacey, what was he charged with? Being Fall, gay. F- being gay. Falling on top of a, a boy. A boy in the 80s. He fell? He, he, he tripped and he, he fell. He fell in, into his asshole with his dick. <laughs> <laughs> with an erect dick. He slipped and fell into his booty hole. He did Is something that- uh, he shouldn't have done, but he didn't... I don't think he actually did anything. I think he tried to come on to some some boy, some teenage boy when he was drunk. Anthony Rapp, right? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Now, if we look at the Massachusetts charges, it's like an 18-year-old kid. He tried to ply with alcohol, and there, there might have been some kind of assault there. I don't know the, the, the case. I don't know all the details, but it, it's uh, been thrown out of court. Okay. Was that it? I really I, thought I, it was worse. I, I think so. He might have been like 17 or 18, but... Drinking age is 21, so they should throw that kid in jail, if you ask me. Yeah, his parents. Broke the law. Jeez. Hanging out at a bar. So Wait, they, so, so he did even less than Louis C.K.? We don't know. I uh, you know, Look, if I'm hard-pressed, my, my gut instinct here is that Kevin Spacey is a monster, that he has done genuinely evil things. He was on the Lolita Express. He was hanging out with Epstein. This is all documented. He, he has did, that face, too. He has, like, yeah. creepy creepy gay face you know well, what did i mean you, did you ever read the uh the the report that his brother had put out no his Who's brother his brother is he's a limo driver who dresses up as a rod serling uh, okay uh, all right okay <laughs> sounds like Sorry, uh, not not rod serling of the twilight zone he's not an impersonator of him he's an impersonator of rod stewart the musician oh, from the 1970s and 80s wow okay and according to him, their dad was a Nazi who raped both of them every night of the week. Okay. So if you... <laughs> I don't know what to do with that one. 
I can't throw a joke in there. That's inappropriate. <laughs> but I don't know if you should believe that. That, that sounds like, um, I don't know if you remember before Obama got elected that there was a homeless man that was claiming that Obama got him in his limo and sucked his dick. Do you remember that? The uh, transsexual. Was it? A, no, it was a guy. It was like a crackhead. Yeah, but it was like a, anybody could have paid that guy off. I mean, yeah, but like that's just what this sounds like, you know, just a uh, 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 Rod Stewart impersonator trying to get some attention for himself. You know? No, but it's his brother. It's his his blood, his sibling. Who? Why would he lie about this? Look at Obama's brother. Remember? Oh yeah, that's that's right. Well, hold on a second. Obama's bro- that's a different story. Malik. <laughs> Malik was living in Africa, and he hardly knew Obama. He tried to visit him one time at the White House, and Obama was like, get this guy out of here. Well, you don't know how close Rod Stewart and his brother are. No, that's that's a fair argument. Rod Stewart and his brother, yeah. (laughs) Uh, Very close. Deeply close. It was kind of like Liberace, where he was sculpting him in his (laughs) image. No, uh, I think that's a fair argument to make. Again... I th- I, ju- I happen to think that uh, Kevin Spacey is a violent rapist, but there's nothing that proves that. So, to my original point, to my original point, Tom Sizemore uh, did mm-hmm. some terrible, awful, awful things, allegedly, where he was putting his fingers where they don't belong yep. on someone who was even younger than Anthony Rapp. Mm-hmm. Tom Sizemore is on Cameo.com right now. You can buy a video from him. Also, Kyle Massey, who's a pedophile, who tried luring... Some uh, some kid off the internet to come visit him in, I think, Washington, D.C. or something like that. He's on Cameo.com right now, too. Do I know who this guy is? That's Corey in the house. Whoa! What? Yeah, okay. Disney Channel kid acting up in that way. What a, what a surprise. Goddamn. So, yeah. I mean, look. Terrible people. But Kevin Spacey... <laughs> he's got some park marks to him. I, I'll give you that. But he's got uh, he's got no real rap sheet here. Well, good for him. I'm glad that, you know, the good people from Hollywood are getting their name cleared out so that this Me Too movement can finally die. And we can just go back to, you know... I, I, I don't know how careful I'm supposed to be in this podcast. It, it, you know, I've been extra cautious this know, week and like... the last week over what to tweet, what not to tweet, if I should go at people, uh, because yeah. we have some important things going on this month that we can't get into right now that really do not need to be jeopardized. But I don't know. Uh, I don't know what this podcast will uh, contribute to that. Or take away from that. I think it's just a more disposable media, unless it gets played back when you have a, a writing gig at Breitbart four years from now, and are talking about the benefits of being with priests or something like that. That's fine. Uh, that's fine. So I was just going to say, um, I'm glad that we can just go back to you know um, the good old days. Yeah, when everyone just turned a blind eye to all of these. Show me your tits, toots. You know. What do you think the odds are of Tarantino bringing Kevin Spacey in as the bad guy in Star Trek? Oh, man, that's that's the one thing that I'm not looking forward to at all. I I don't need a Spock that says fuck, you know, like they've turned my beloved nerdy fucking boring Star Trek into I don't even know what this new thing is. Have you seen that Discovery show? No, I don't watch science okay. fiction. Well, let me just uh, talk to you and the, the two listeners that care about Star Trek and this uh, that listen to this. Um, they they pretty much just turned it into Star Wars, so now it's just loud and and dramatic and like very much um, <clears throat> uh, a, a lot of uh, space fights and a lot of lasers and a lot of you know um, machines not working properly and a lot of things that are just not what Star Trek's supposed to be. So he just turned it into another, uh, uh, you know, um, what's that show that came out recently uh, that nobody gave a fuck about on Netflix that was a remake of uh, Lost in Space? Oh, wow. That really got swept under the rug. 
Yeah, so they pretty much turned it into that. So now Star Trek is it's pretty much the same as Star Wars without the imagery because it's new characters. They did bring out a, a Spock that has a beard, um, but instead of you know Star Trek, people used to make fun of Star Trek fans because they were like the nerdy Star Wars, if you can say that, <laughs> like the nerdier Star Wars where. You know, if you watch the the old show or any of the other shows that came out after, the fights are very minimal. And a lot of it is just, you know, human relations or, or humans re, uh, with uh, other space beings. And like it was more political and more like internal and mostly because of the budget, I'm assuming the um, action they used to have was not great. But that was not the point of the show. And and they just turned it into, you know something that is not at all so instead of just coming up with a new uh franchise and just you know not turning it into something that's not and uh an r-rated star trek just like why just just make a space just sci-fi space movie without the star trek name you know i don't need a spock with emotions or or uh uhura showing her feet you know what what where does the jj abrams star trek movies stand in terms of uh, Star Trek fans' opinions of those films, because that was the first Star Trek anything that I liked. Because you know you had Chris Pine; they were playing mm-hmm. the Beastie Boys. Yeah, that's cool. It's uh, <laughs> he was riding a bike at the beginning of the movie. Remember, he got drunk and in a fight. Yeah, it was um, very, very Star Wars. I think the first one was okay. In the first one, mostly because they were just introducing the character, so they were not doing that much. But I feel. Like they made the mistake that a lot of movies do now where they just go too big at the beginning. So then when you come out with movie number two and the conflict is not as big as in the first one, I don't care. And then when you come out with movie number three and it's even less than the second and the first one, then it's just you went too big at the beginning. Uh, and now uh, to have people, you know, to, to get them interested in the product, they changed it. So again... They turn everyone to overly emotional beings and everyone fights and everything is a conflict and everyone, everything is, you know, punching and lasers. And uh, so I don't know. I mean, me personally, I, uh, I only like the first one. I don't really care about the other two. Was it two or three that came out? There were three. There Uh, were two that J.J. Abrams had directed. And then the third one, I think Simon Pegg took over as writer and they got some other guy. Maybe it was James Wan. No, that doesn't sound right. It was it, it was some some Asian guy. I don't know. He, <laughs> he he directed that one, and nobody watched it. So yeah, I just it, because that's the thing. Like, if you're trying to introduce Star Trek to a new audience, and you give them the same thing they get from Star Wars, Star Wars is already established. So you're not gonna get their audience. You're not gonna steal them from them. The the biggest thing before was that you know the two fan bases were completely different because the two things were very different from each other. But now the only difference is that one of them has, you know, lightsabers and the other one doesn't. Uh, So I don't really, I don't know. I feel like they went too big too early. And now that franchise is pretty much dead, at least in the movies. Uh, I'm really surprised that the TV show has done well enough for a second season. And I don't know if they're coming out with a third one, but I just, it's just, it just doesn't feel like Star Trek to me. And that's probably the nerdiest thing I've ever said in my life. So then what's the problem with Quentin Tarantino taking over if it's already been decayed to this point? I I guess, uh, I guess you're right. I just, I can't imagine seeing a Star Trek where they curse, you know? And it sounds very, very um, uh, preachy of me or very like, like old lady complaining, but just, just make your sci-fi movie and don't, you know, tie it to Star Trek. What's the point? Because he loves Star Trek. He wants, apparently he wants to make it like the original TV show. And he might be getting people involved from that era. Wow. The two that are still alive? Yeah, yeah, yes. <laughs> hey, did you, ever, did you ever see that uh, Spock? What was his name? His real name? Uh, Nimoy? Leonard Nimoy? Le- Leonard Nimoy was obsessed with fat women. I did not. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. He has a, a series of photos, I think. Yeah. I, I, I remember doing research for him when I was younger in the early days of the internet. And I think his website was just galleries of black and white photography of fat women, if I'm not mistaken. 
along with you know architecture or whatnot but i just remember that that area of the website of me being very confused as a young lad i here's what i know about it i was tuning into the radio on my way to school when i was in sixth grade so i was probably about 12 at the time or 13 and he was being interviewed by the local radio station talking about mounds of flesh talking about the (laughs) folds of a woman's body and my mom had turned to the next radio station as he was like intimately describing these things <laughs> and how they need to be appreciated. It was very uncomfortable, very awkward. I don't know what got into that uh, Leonard Nimoy. Maybe he just wasn't getting any acting gigs. And I mean, he he was pretty much typecasted into that for the rest of his life. Not typecasted. No, what's the word? Uh, yeah. For for what the Spock role. You know, you do a role once and that's you for the rest of your life. Well, what did he do besides that? I know he was on a couple of episodes of Columbo a couple of times, I, but. I believe that he, didn't he direct a couple of things? I'm not sure. It's I, entirely I, possible. I used to, I used to be really into his, his story because I always found his character to be more interesting than, than uh, Kirk, but. I just like you know drugs and alcohol has ruined my memory so I don't really remember any of this shit like I just have like little sprinkles of of things like him enjoying fat women you know can't really tell you much else about him besides the fact that he was a nerd the way that they introduce Spock in it it's kind of a reach you know when they play with space-time continuum and whatnot just because they had to put him in there before he died well, they were ahead of the game as far as that goes. Everyone else is doing that right now. Marvel just did that. DC is doing that on TV where it's like, we're going to bring in Kevin Conroy as Bruce Wayne. And we're also going to have... That guy's ugly as fuck. He's got a disgusting mold <laughs> that should prevent him from being Bruce Wayne. He would play a perfect live action version of Gargoyles. Do you remember Gargoyles? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That would be No good. makeup. They're doing Hellboy. that with Brandon Routh as well, where he's going to be Superman. Oh. And Kevin Spacey should come right back in as Lex Luthor. Yeah. Perfect. But we got we to gotta get back on subject here, The Hateful Eight. Oh, yeah. Uh, it's been the only movie that I haven't finished from his filmography, so I guess... Autumn? Oh, wait, no. Well, uh, I don't know if you want to count his first thing, that black and white awful thing. that. Have he you did. watched that? I watched like five minutes of it and it's just unwatchable. My best friend's birthday. There, there are yeah. clips about it roaming the uh, the internet. You can find some, but a, a lot of that movie has been lost. I think uh, didn't a fire take out half the film stock? I, I'm not sure. I found a thirty. I think it was thirty minute cut, and uh, I just it's just hideous. It it sounds horrible. He's acting in it and he's terrible. I just it's just not worth you know it it really uh, makes him look bad you know you know when when you if you know him as a filmmaker and then you watch that it's like okay so this is when he didn't know what the fuck he was doing so I guess you can find appreciation of it that way but it's not I just uh, what uh, like as somebody who hasn't watched it what would you say the differences in quality between that and Reservoir Dogs um, well, budget, <laughs> budget, uh, visual, visual is, you know, it's a movie. This, uh, this, uh, what's it called? My, fe- my best friends. What, what is it? My best friend's my best birthday. Friends. It just feels like a bunch of friends that just said, let's, you know, let's put this shit together without it really thinking much of a story, without thinking much of that di- uh, dialogue or anything. Just let's fuck around and see what comes out. Yes. Where, very, uh, very practice makes perfect. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um yeah. but uh and Reservoir Dogs is like an actual movie with a story, with characters, with dialogue, with violence, so yeah. How did you feel about the fact that he had brought Michael Madsen and Tim Roth, who he hadn't worked with since I believe Pulp Fiction, out of mm. retirement for this film? Retirement Well, they, retirement are, in his his own filmography. Oh, well they're great. Uh Madsen was kind of weird in this movie he he kind of took me out of the movie because i just didn't believe him as a cowboy does at he all. know how to act anymore I, I i think he just plays himself 
but, and he has but a, it's, it's not just he, that it's like he gives no effort i mean he's always kind of been that way and that's yeah been his charm or it used to be when he was 35 like the cool guy right. that doesn't give a shit but yeah. he's like 55 and he's you know slumping in his seat and he he can't really give any kind of character to the dialogue he's just saying it he's slow and he he's ba- tired he, he barely articulates his words. He just says it like he was playing a gangster in New York. I I just like I, he he took me out of it completely, especially because there's a, a kind of long scene uh, where uh, uh, Kurt Russell takes his gun or something. There's a conflict there where he's trying to take his gun or takes his gun or something, and he just feels like everyone else was trying to sound like a cowboy or like trying to sound like someone from that. From those days and those years, and he's just Michael Matz. Once Jerry. upon a time in Hollywood, he he, he acts in the same manner. So I, I think he's past the point where it's like, oh, I'm going to be a good actor. If, if if that was even a thought that ever crossed his mind, he might just be the kind of guy who wants to be in films. Yeah, that's this is just me. And if you think you can use this in a movie, then hire me. And if not, then like that's what he's always seemed like to me because he doesn't really or has never really shown much of a range right so it's it's one of those you know let's let's hire this guy so that he can play that guy that he always plays i think that tim roth is great in this movie though and he and yeah he's a guy who is not properly used in films because he can put on a character really well but he gets cast as like the generic husband father in all of these middling dramas like there's one that's out this year called uh a loose luch or lucy or something i don't know it's something about two uh white people who adopt a black kid and he might be a terrorist or something and uh octavia spencer's in it it actually doesn't look too bad but he doesn't have any kind of flair to him in it he's just quiet well he's a he's a really good character actor yeah, and uh and he just doesn't do enough he i i would put him in the same uh box as um fuck his name just literally slipped the the guy that played um uh churchill a couple of years ago gary oldman no they're yeah they're very similar they actually i think they came up together as actors ah well there you go because they're, they're very multifaceted like they can do a lot of different things and they are really good at being that character mm-hmm. that gets all your attention but i guess yeah, he's just hired to be regular white dad now. Who do you think gives the best performance out of the cast of The Hateful Eight? Um, I love Walton Goggins. Every, every time he's in a scene, he he's a scene stealer for he's me. So since, great. I, since I watched uh, The Shield. Do you remember The Shield? Yes. That was I, I believe that was one of his early works, or at least first time that I ever notice who he was and from then on like he's just a scene stealer to me uh so him and also well Kurt Russell like I love everything he does so I'd say that I hated the woman character Jennifer Jason Lee yeah it just felt it just felt like okay so we need to have a woman here but we're just gonna punch her for the entire movie and she's going to take every single punch and just be like oh you bitch uh like that, that I just didn't I understand that the conflict was that you know, the, the uh, Kurt Russell character that likes to see them hang or whatever. So he's keeping her there. But I just don't think that she added anything, at least for the, you know, almost two hours that I watched, anything that uh, was necessary but, there. But her like, character is the entire, like, it's the crux of the film. Uh, and how everything comes together is it's her brother, Channing Tatum's character, and his guys come to rescue her. Well, see, I didn't even get that far. Oh, right. You didn't finish. (laughs) Yeah, because I was just bored. You didn't get to the final episode where we see that Channing Tatum is under the floorboard waiting. And Michael Madsen, Tim Roth, and um, who am I forgetting? Kumail? No, uh, no, no. no, The the Mexican guy are all... Oh, uh, Damien Bichir? Yeah, they're all part of his gang. And it's going to be a coup to rescue Daisy. Oh. Yeah, I, I, yeah, okay. <laughs> I guess, yeah. In those two hours, that character bored me. So I, yeah. I, I, I don't know. have any gripes about her character performance. I actually think uh, she's 
maybe one of the better parts of the film for me anyway. Okay. But I is that a, is that the best performance for you? No, 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 no. I I would probably I I think I would second your opinion that Walton Goggins maybe gives the best performance. I think Samuel Jackson's very good. Mm-hmm. And Bruce Dern does a lot for his very minimalist role. He's another one that, you know, he's old as shit now. And I don't think I've ever seen a movie of him or with him in it that he's in which he's young. You should check think. out The King of Marvin Gardens. It's a very good Bob Rafelson film from the 70s where he plays opposite of Jack Nicholson. And they kind of huh. do an off-type role switch where Nicholson is the more reserved, quiet, younger guy. And Bruce Stern is like the the crazy, wacky uh, one of the two. But it's a very good movie, and I think it was one of the last BBS films. So, I mean, that would be a good recommendation for him at a younger age. I know he was in yeah. The Burbs <clears throat> with Tom Hanks. Oh, shit, that's right. Huh. I just, I guess I, I wasn't really aware of him until nebraska like until that came out i was like oh this old guy is really good who the fuck is this old guy uh but it just like that's where my interest ended like i didn't really (laughs) didn't really do any research on his career or anything and uh, when he popped out here i was like oh cool that's that old guy again but i don't really know he's i didn't even know that he had been in movies for that long so oh yeah he's been uh, acting a very long time but i don't think you're alone in feeling that way because when Nebraska did come out, he was having a moment where he got nominated for Best Actor. It seemed like even though he was extremely old, his career was going to be on the incline. And then immediately after that, nobody gave a shit. Quentin, mm-hmm. Quentin's still casting him in roles. He does have a part in Once Upon a Time in Hollywood as uh, he's the love interest of Dakota Fanning. How about that? <laughs> well, all right. And it's a very it's a very small role, and you can tell that they probably just threw him this bit because he is so old. He's going to be in his eighties at this point. More than that, I think. It's just him laying in bed whining for three or four minutes. That's I mean that's good. <laughs> He's earned that role, I guess. Good for him. <laughs> this movie also got. I, I I don't know if it really got ignored, but it didn't make the impact that I think a lot of people were hoping that it would. After Inglorious Bastards and Django and before that, Kill Bill, you know, those movies feel like events. And even Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, these movies feel like event films where you go to the theater, there's excitement that's building around it. And there was excitement around The Hateful Eight. But I think that script leak really sucked the air out of it. I was about to ask you that, if you think that's the reason why nobody really cared that much for this movie. I think that's part of it. Even though they did the whole road show where they were presenting it in 70 millimeter, it didn't quite have the sticking power of those films. And maybe it's also just because of the material. I don't think that this is one of his better films. And I was about to tell you too, like, um, I don't think Westerns are very in nowadays or lately either. So it's another thing of uh, convincing an audience to sit through a Western for two hours um, where, you know, you're not going to get the references and you're not going to get the the humor maybe that uh, he uses in his more modern movies or <clears throat> movies at the time like he did with uh uh pulp fiction and and uh the the type of dialogue that he came up with uh, in those movies uh and this one is just you know cowboys and they're in the west and something's happening but we don't know what's happening um so i i, I don't know if uh, modern audiences are as open to westerns as they would be maybe i don't know 20 30 years ago like i, I feel like if this movie had come out in the 70s or the 80s it would have been much bigger than it was uh, mostly because of that. Uh, uh, I, don't, I don't know if uh, the cellular age of communication and, and social media uh, g- allows you to enjoy a two-hour Western movie where the not much happens. cellular age, huh? Is the that digital what I- <laughs> era? The World yeah. Wide Web? Is that that's yep. the problem with this movie? Yeah. There weren't enough URLs. So, I yeah, I know. I, I, I think you're right to a degree, but... This was toted as Kurt Russell's big comeback film where 
Quentin was going to pull him out and bring him to the spotlight, but it didn't really have that impact the same way that Bone Tomahawk did, and that was a Western. Obviously, not as popular overall, not as many eyes on that film as there were on The Hateful Eight, but it did so much more for his career, and I think was more pivotal in getting him in Guardians of the Galaxy Volume 2 and all these other roles afterward than this film ultimately did. Yeah, I, I guess I guess you got a point there, but I just don't know. I just can't imagine uh, droves of people going into the cinema to watch a, a Western movie. Um, and also, you know, the fact that maybe his script, this script was not as good as his other ones. I, I also feel like the hype killed it too. Uh, uh, everyone was very excited to see what he was going to do after Django and after um, uh, Inglourious Bastards. So when like i don't i don't really remember if this movie was well reviewed or not but yeah i I just i i can't imagine you know 18 19 20 year old sitting for a western movie nowadays for three hours no less almost three hours in its natural runtime let alone the cool hip netflix worldwide web version very niche i think first that would care about the format in which you shoot and then for them to even know that those movies were shot that way back in the day, like you're you're um, making your audience smaller by every little thing that you add to it. So it just it just didn't don't think that it had the the mass appeal that a Pulp Fiction or even a Kill Bill would have. You know that even though it's a martial arts movie, you still have a you know a girl protagonist and a revenge story that you know right away from the beginning. So you're engaged. This one is a little bit more vague when you don't really know exactly what's happening. The characters are being introduced very slowly and we're getting to know them very slowly through dialogue. So you're not really showing that much. It's just people talking in, in, you know, in, in, in cubes pretty much and just rooms. So, uh, yeah, I just, I don't know. I, I don't, I guess I just wasn't expecting this to be as big as his other movies. So I'm not surprised by the fact that not many people care for it. Now, when you take the overall quality of this movie compared to his earlier works and hold that next to the fact that he is delving into the territory of Star Trek and he's doing something with the the Django character yet again, I think he he's doing a spinoff film with Gerard uh, Carmichael of the Carmichael show where they're going to do a crossover. It's going to be called Django Zorro. Do you think that Tarantino's bottoming out in his career? Do you think he's reaching the point that directors eventually get to where it's just like, fuck it, I don't give a shit anymore. I'm going to do commercial work. I don't care about making an interesting statement with my movies anymore. I just want to work. I hope not, because that's not what his career has been so far. I think he's done whatever he wants so far. Like, I don't think he's got any, you know, one for me, two for you movies. Like he's not one of those guys uh, like a Tim Burton would be, for example, like no, relating to that Batman conversation well, he, we had earlier. He, he hasn't really done a personal movie in ages. He had, what was it, Big Eyes? And nobody cared about that. Nobody saw yeah. that movie. So he just, uh, he's done 50 Disney movies. Yeah, he's moved on from from I care about making movies to let's just make money, I think. Yeah. Because now he's just, he's making CGI remakes now. So I'm just hoping that Tarantino doesn't. As much as I'm, he's not one of my favorite filmmakers or anything, that's one thing that he's always had where he just does whatever he wants. And uh, it, that I, I remember that being a thing that people spoke about when this Hateful Eight thing was announced, which was, you know, he's taking it back to how Western movies used to be made and how they used to be shot and how they used to look. Uh, so that still feels like very personal, like very, you know, I want to do that because I enjoy these types of things. Uh, I'm hoping that he's not becoming just a, you know, here's my name, give me money kind of guy. I mean, the news is not particularly encouraging, but I do have faith in Quentin Tarantino and his own respect for everything he's done thus far that he wouldn't necessarily go that route. But I also feel like, a filmmaker loses a bit of their artistic integrity when they delve into a massive commercial property. And I think Star Trek would fit the bill on that. Like after talking about it, I 
I would obviously watch it just to see what he does with the um, franchise, but I, I would prefer for him to just continue doing his genre films. You know, I guess this could be this could qualify as a sci-fi movie. It would, it hopefully, it would be not not like Clerks in Space, uh, which is what I picture um, his Star Trek like. But well, are we, are we going to try to do all of the Tarantino films? We could do that. I I, I think we. I mean, we've got this one planned, and we're going to do Jackie Brown next week. So. I mean, and he's he's still in the single digits unless you count my best friend's birthday. So I, I don't see why not. Yeah. Unless you really want to get into the weeds and do like the CSI special that he directed that was two hours long. Why? No. I own that on Blu-ray. That that episode only. I collect toys. I, I feel you. Yeah. It's rubies. Um, I mean, yeah, he's, all of his movies are enjoyable for different reasons. So I would be down for doing that if you want. All right. Why not? Okay, well, this has been chapter one, I guess, in that retrospective. This has been movies. And uh, Hans, where can people... Are you going to sign up for Twitter? Are you going to try to create a new account? I feel like enough time has passed where you can get away with it. Well, I yeah, I guess I can try. But every time I try to... Or that I've tried to create a new account, they just block it immediately. So what if I make the... If I make the account, am I jeopardizing my account? That's... I don't know. Why don't you do an incognito window account and then send, <laughs> yeah. send me the login and see if that works. Imagine if we both get suspended. <laughs> like that would just ruin everything. It would do more harm than what I what good I would do, uh, which would last three days before I get annoyed with someone and call them a faggot or something. Look, uh, maybe we so. can get Jerry or Kenny to have you like make the account for you. Yeah. I mean, Jerry, Jerry would probably be pissed, but yeah. Yeah, because that's the thing. That's why I haven't really tried anything uh, with you guys because I don't want your accounts to also get linked to it and then fucked. Sure. Uh, but I guess Instagram, I guess. I'm so out of the loop on everything since I don't have a Twitter that even this uh, Once Upon a Time in Hollywood movie, like I know very little about it uh, and I like it that, that way. I think not having Twitter has helped my mental health a lot just because um, I, I don't know if you've, uh, at least I would I would use it as, a, as therapy. So I would just let's go look at uh, people saying stupid shit and how can I get annoyed with them? Uh, and I would just go on my phone for that. So uh, I don't know. I mean, we should try, but I don't know if I will. We'll, we'll figure we'll figure out a strategy to get you yeah. back. in. I mean, it's probably great for your mental health, as you were just alluding to. But <laughs> yeah, yeah. Just just go to Lowres page, and I'm sure in one of those pictures there's a tag, and you can go to my profile from there. This has been Movies, a podcast about the act of cinema. Uh, if you would like to contribute and get some bonus episodes, go over to patreon.com slash Lowres, and for only a buck you can get... I think we did two or three bonus episodes where it was me, you, and Jake, and there's one up right now on the Brian De Palma film Domino, if you want to Learn more about a director who has fallen off quite a bit since their their heyday. Is that the one where that skinny woman uh, plays a girl with short hair that fucks? No, that's Domino oh. from like 2006. That's a different movie. Oh. All right. Never mind. <laughs>